Hi all and welcome back to the European VC and one of the episodes I've looked the most forward to. So stay peeled, based in Denmark, I'm Andreas. And from beautiful Portugal, I am David. In this first part of a two-part episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Joe George, founding and managing partner of Isomer Capital, one of Europe's absolute strongest fund of funds investors. Joe started his career in technology management positions that got him up close with the M&A world, which led Joe to a whole string of accomplishments in private equity, both as a consultant and as an investor doing direct as well as fund investments. And to top it off, Joe has of course also made angel investments. So in other words, today we're talking with one of the greats with knowledge from all across the spectrum. And we can't wait to dive deep with him on Iceman Capital, his baby and one of Europe's truly great fund of funds. Joe, that was quite an intro. Welcome to the show. How is everything? Wow, thank you so much, guys. You're definitely too kind in all those words. Really appreciate that. Thrilled to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, we're super excited to have you today, Joe. I want to jump right into our talk with a very uh, specific question, which might date back a bit, which is, if I'm not mistaken, you you decided to launch Isomer back in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this question that is aching, and we've spoken about this. You're American, and the U.S. ecosystem is is booming. It's spitting out unicorn after unicorn. So why the hell did you come to Europe to build Isomer? Yeah, interesting question. I used to get that question a lot in the early days of Isomer, when it was less obvious, maybe in, in 2013 and 14 and 15, it was less obvious how strong Europe was and was growing. And so, yeah, American guy in Europe, and, and there are a lot of Americans in European VC, interestingly. Why do this in Europe? Well, the U.S. market is great, fantastic, of course. The U.S. invented venture capital. And when you look today, it's a mature market, it's sophisticated, it's highly capitalized, it's highly competitive. There are lots of excellent GPs, there are lots of excellent LPs, but it's also highly priced and access constrained. So I always ask myself and all of our partners, why does the world need another fund? And, you know, there are lots of great people doing what we do in the US. I look up to them, I learn from them, and they're brilliant. Europe, by contrast, is growing very quickly and is generating strong returns, but with less capital, so lower entry valuation. So in addition to these favorable economics, there's a really special moment to access Europe, to get into the most exciting companies, the most exciting new VC funds, and as the system matures, to be part of tomorrow's household names. So that's really what got me so excited about Europe. And to be honest, I say it as a joke often, but I mean it. I reached this moment in my life where the opportunity was so obvious and so exciting. If I don't do something, I will regret it the rest of my life. And I don't want to be the the old guy at home one day saying, look, I saw the curve early. You know, I saw it coming. Uh, So, yeah. That, that brought me to start Isomer Capital. David and I, we really get why you say that about the opportunity being so great, because we've both helped managers try and raise funds in Europe. And it's just so clear that finding LPs that are willing to bet on emerging managers, that is difficult. So I can't imagine the pick that a fund of funds has in Europe. It must be a boundless opportunity. But Joe, I want us to double down on your strategy and, and what you're doing different from everyone else, because even though there are many ECs out there looking to get LPs in, it is still a competitive game and the best funds are difficult to get into. So I'd love to hear how do you differentiate yourself from everyone else and what's your secret sauce maybe? It's a big question and I, I, I can't tell you all the secret sauce. You know, we were 
We're working every day to, to cook up more secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. uh, but let me start by saying a kind of quite odd thing. Again, um, probably I say a lot of odd things, but I never woke up one morning and thought to myself, boy, I really want to build a fun of fun. That wasn't how it happened. As, as the opportunity in Europe became more and more exciting and, and more and more obvious to me, with new companies and new VCs, initially as a side hobby, if you will, having invested in US venture and Asian venture and so on earlier, I thought to myself, if you understand the landscape, it's very highly diversified geographically. It's fragmented in terms of where the next big thing will come from, what sector, what location. There isn't one tech hub or two as there are, or three as there are in the US, there's 20. And so I, I, the, the challenge was, okay, you see an amazing opportunity. If you have a clean piece of paper to start with your perfect strategy, how would you approach that? And so I looked at where do great entrepreneurs get their first professional money? You want to be early in the next Spotify or, or you know, or, 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 or the next delivery or, or so on. And so if you look across Europe today, where do they get their first money? Well, it's it's generally not from household names, from big brands you've heard of. It's from what I would call the local digital champion. So the seed funds, and you know, simple way to think about it, if you're in Berlin and you're, you're working on your startup in your garage and you stick your head out of the garage looking for your very first money, who do you see? Well, you see the people in Berlin and, and the local entrepreneurs and VCs that you look up to. And if you're in Stockholm, the same. And if you're in Barcelona, the same. And, and so for me, the question was, how could I be somehow hyper-local? You know, how could I have access and, and brain power that was in all of these places where big outcomes are growing? And we just had the IPO of, of UiPath, which is a, a wonderful example. Yet another example. We're having an example every month, but this one is powerful. <laughs> I don't know how many tech investors are traveling to Bucharest to make early stage bets. I can promise you the number is higher now than it was five. <laughs> but, but there's a great example, right? Bucharest, a big tech hub. Well, not, not <laughs> you wouldn't have thought of that in the past, but amazing outcome, amazing outcome there. So that was really what led us to the fund of fund strategy. If we could be a good partner with these early stage VCs, then we could help them with their business. We could, and then we could join them as a co-investor in their companies along the way. And that really was the, the origin of, of the strategy. There's a lot more nuance to it. How do you be a great partner? You know, when do you co-invest? How do you co-invest? Where do you co-invest? You know, lo lots more nuance to it. But the seed was that, capturing the best of Europe in a structured, uh, rigorous way. Let me ask a quick follow-up there, Joe, because... A lot of our listeners are emerging managers, or we might even call them aspiring emerging managers. So getting ready to start that amazing adventure, but not yet starting it. So Eisenberg and yourself, you are interested in emerging managers. Can you tell us a bit more of the profiles you're looking for? What are you looking for in those people? Because I think our listeners will actually be really excited to hear this and try to understand, pick your brains, so to speak. Yeah, sure, sure. We sometimes get called a fund of emerging managers, and that wasn't the goal. It's true, to be fair. It's, it's broadly true. Although recently we've backed some fund threes and fours and fives. So that's a natural feature of, of, of Europe 
kind of growing up that there are fun fours and fives. But but our lens on the market is being the first professional money into companies. You know, that first capital that an entrepreneur gets at that seed stage, sometimes pre-seed or seed plus or inter, you know, there's, there's lots of names for different different ways of funding companies now, but you get the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Look across Europe today, who's putting professional first money into companies? A very large segment of the market are what, what you'd call emerging managers, you know, putting together fund one, launching fund two, fund three. So we've invested in, in lots of these and traditional LPs, they like to back fund four, five, six, mm-hmm. because they can look at the track record, right? And, and if somebody had a great return in fund one, two, three, then <laughs> you feel comfortable and it seems easy. The problem with that is, is, in my view, it works less in venture capital than in any other segment mm-hmm. of yeah. private markets. The reason is that venture capital by nature is funding innovation. And innovation means that tomorrow looks different than today. So if you invest in the same thing that made you successful yesterday, using the same method and so on, you're probably not going to catch the next big thing. So, you know, investing in innovation means something about keeping an open mind and looking looking forward. So, of course, we love track record. And, you know, if you can invest in fund four on the top of three awesome fund, great, I'll, I'll do that every day, you know. <laughs> However, you may also find that that fund one is being launched by somebody with a big idea and a new thesis, and and they may have experience, not not just, you know, we're not looking to back people just because they're new. Um, We're looking to back people because they can do something special and more powerful than others. And, you know, we can unpack how we get to that. But what I'm interested in more is how can we generate success together? How can we win big? I'm interested in that more than I'm interested in what fund number are you on. I get that super well. I do have a question to the, let's call it, experience of the emerging manager, because I see that there is this apple and orange issue with getting into VC, that oftentimes you want that track record of having invested before. But naturally, many people won't have that. One profile where it's admitted, you could say, and you can still become a VC, get into VC, that is the world of founding turning VCs, but what other profiles do you see being able to take this route without having that investment track record? It's a good question. You you mentioned to me at some point the startup dream team, the hipster, the hacker, the hustler being the nice combo. And we have three profiles that we really like, but I don't really have a great <laughs> literative, uh, acronym I should work on that. I sort of tried to get at it and I could call me the entrepreneur, the executive and the ex-VC. And what I mean by that is that there's a skill set, I think, required to build a great VC firm. So, you know, I was an entrepreneur, I I founded a company, I built it up, I sold it. And therefore, I have a lot of experience in hyper growth, in product development, and, you know, all those things that make a company great. However, I don't necessarily want to do that again. I want to use the capital I made and, and experience I got to coach the next generation. So I call that player turned coach. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and one of the first firms I was ever involved in like that was Atomico. And that was you know, very different for Europe at that time, um, that the founders of Skype had sold Skype and got into investing. And I think that's a great profile for all the reasons you can imagine. It's not clear to me that every great player makes a great coach. So that's true in football and that's true in VC, I think. <laughs> 
So, so that's an important thing to try to understand. You know, if you want to be a coach, are you able to step back and use influence and be a good board member? And, you know, you're not taking control of the company. It's not your company to run. And, and so that's a, being a coach is different than being a player. But certainly players have a great skill set to bring to the next generation. The second profile I'd say is sort of the X, what I'd call the XVC. So somebody who worked at Index or Excel or one of these great firms, and they've they've created lots of great knowledge and network and experience. A lot of people leave those firms and they start new firms. So Europe is full of those now. <laughs> and 10 years ago, it wasn't, but now it is. So we've backed XXL people, XIndex people, and, and, and lots of others. And they're fantastic because they have a network, they've worked within a big machine, they know how to run a thoughtful DD process and, and so on. But what I love about those people is that often what you find when you talk to them is they're kind of, they have a thesis themselves, they have a big idea. You know, there's a certain kind of founder that needs my help and they're not getting my help within this bigger firm. So I'm going to exit and I'm going to create you know, a firm around this thesis. I find that super exciting because you're kind of unlocking this talent into a new thesis that usually when you kind of peel it back, they've probably been thinking about it for years. And so that moment where you can back this big idea that's been cooking quietly in the background, you know, that's exciting. And, and we, again, we've backed a number of those and they're working extremely well, very powerful. And then the third profile is what I'd call the executive. So <laughs> I tried to get into three E's. Um, I like it. <laughs> the, the executive is, is sort of the person who probably worked at Google, Apple, Microsoft, you know, big tech company. They probably, what we see anyway, quite often they worked in strategy or they worked in the corporate VC or they did something that brought them into working with startup. What's interesting about that profile and additive to the other two is often they know how to scale product. They know how to take something from you know, 10 customers to 10,000 customers. They have a good network within the big the corporate landscape, which helps for development, which helps customers maybe exit later. So kind of in my theoretical great firm for Europe, would have sort of one XVC who contributes that component, one X founder who's contributing that component, and maybe one X big, big company executive who contributes that. And you see firms like that in Europe today, which is super. And we love trying to understand if we can buy into the thesis and then they have that powerful mix of skills. That's exciting. I'm curious, Joe, because I meet a lot of advisors who actively advise companies on the side of whatever day job they have. Mm -hmm. And then they see this route where they have for the past five, 10 years been helping founders in the very, very early beginnings or in the pre-seed stage. Then of course, as the companies grow up, they fall out of the journey. How do you see this profile wanting to crack into VC stack up against your three E's? I can't say I've seen many, many people with that sort of profile, although I've seen some. And I guess my question would be, well, what have you really done for the founders and for the startups? And is that portable and reproducible and scalable. You know, many people give friendly advice to founders, and that's great, but you really have to be a bit introspective and a bit analytical and say, you know, was that really generating value and formative? And can I bring that value to lots of startups? And if the answer is yes, fantastic. That's entirely possible. And we've, we've backed some people like that where they had pretty thin investment record, but they had a great record of helping the entrepreneur in at least one or 
you know, segment of the of the company build, shall we say, the product expert, mm-hmm. yeah. right? If you're investing very, very early where the product is not well developed and you're a product expert and you're willing to contribute that, that's powerful. We've seen branding experts and sort of growth hackers and, and people like that. And so again, I would hope that that sort of profile would partner up to get on the team some investment experience and some of the other experience. Again, the nature of innovation is that if you only look for the patterns of the past, you probably will miss the really different, exciting, big thing. So to keep an open mind and listen. I love that answer, Joe, because it's like, this is the pattern, but maybe, who knows? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's a tough thing to keep, uh, you know, to keep in your mind, right? That you sort of want to back this and look for that pattern. But on the other side, I've been around a long enough time now in a few cycles where if you really talk to the early backers of certain big, famous companies that we all know, if you go to a marketing meeting, they'll tell you, oh, of course I knew. Of course I knew it was going to be, <laughs> you know. But if you really drink a beer with them and get the real story, what comes, and I, you know, I know some folks who backed Facebook early and backed Twitter early and, you know, some big outcomes. And they say, well, you know, I didn't really know, to be honest. We made a bet and my, you know, I, I, I'll never forget one guy said to me, I didn't think Facebook was a good idea at all. One of my <laughs> did, and he sort of brought us in there, but I was against it. I was <laughs> about a different company and blah, blah, blah. Facebook went on to be successful and we're very happy. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of those stories where it, particularly seed stage investing, it's really, really not clear. So I think that keeping that open mind whilst using all of the pattern recognition past heuristics, but yeah, that's, it's a challenge, challenge. And I struggle personally with that to sort of really look at new concepts and suppress my natural skepticism. <laughs> wow, I heard this all before yeah. and I saw it. <laughs> But even in the past five years, we've backed enough new ideas and <laughs> you have to be comfortable in this job to be wrong and to be wrong fairly often. And so I am and I, and I, and I must be. I don't like being wrong, but a lot of ideas took me a year or two to come around where the first time I heard the idea, I said, ah, it doesn't really make any sense. I can't see any value in yeah. that idea, that thesis, whatever. And then you keep talking, you keep thinking, keep researching. And six months, 12 months later, I go, okay, wait a minute. I get it now. I get it. <laughs> so, so apologize. Sorry it took me so long to come around it. And we've backed a few things like that. And I'm absolutely thrilled we did. They turn out to be really big successes as, as a result. I'm actually curious about something you brought up earlier. When you first started about talking your secret sauce or parts of your secret sauce or the, the parts that you have already a recipe for so far as it keeps developing. I'd love to deep dive on something you briefly touched, which is your value add to fund managers. So to the funds in which you invest and particularly how do you balance that fine line between adding value and meddling too much? Uh, and I think to our listeners, your personality is also kind of self-explanatory for that, but let's explore that in a more systematic way. I'd love to hear you expand on that. Sure, sure. There's a fine line between supporting and meddling, as you say, and, and the VC has to walk that fine line with companies, particularly when you have a disagreement about the direction of the company or, or critical decisions and so on. And I think the same with us as an LP. So we set out as an LP, as I explained earlier, to be really a great partner to VCs. And the capital is part of that equation. But if you really want to be a great partner, you're looking out for your friend, you know, not in, in ways which they may or may not even see quite often. And there's some easy things. So if you come back to the emerging nature of Europe, lots of emerging managers who are the first money to companies, what I always talk about with new VCs 
who maybe haven't run a VC fund before. Maybe they left the Excel or the index, right? And they never ran a fund, but they're setting out to do it now. I say, well, you're entering a new business, really. It's a business called fund management. So in addition to backing great entrepreneurs and all of that, you got to run a fund with different kinds of stakeholders. And it's a product. And you spend your whole day with founders trying to improve their product. You should think about your fund like a product. Who's buying? What are they buying? Why are they buying? And that starts a nice relationship. What I find is that most LPs, they're investing, but they're not necessarily, they don't have the time or, or, or the interest or the capability to think about the business of the VC. And so mm. I think as an LP, if we can do that, when we get it right, we're actually thinking about our partner, our partner VC and saying, well, you know, clearly A, B, and C are really great, but DEF maybe could be better. And we've invested in 35 other VCs and you know, there's a couple of them that do certain things really well, and you could learn from them, and we'll connect you if you don't already know them. So there's a cross-pollination, which is yeah. fairly straightforward. There's a, I think when VCs look at companies, they probably see strengths and weaknesses. And when you make an investment, you're probably conscious of those weaknesses. And if you're a value-add VC or, or, or LP, you think, well, what can I do about those weaknesses over the coming years? And don't forget, as an LP, we're signing on for 10 years. This is not a quick flip. We're getting married, basically. <laughs> we're we're going to be with you a long time. And so what, what we try to do is to say, well, here are the areas that we think could be stronger in that firm or, or blind spots or, or whatever, or they're just new to it. So let's let's try to help them in those areas. And every firm's different, just like every company's different. Yeah. So part of it is that active ownership, if you will, being a, a good LPAC member, being active and thinking about their business. And the other part is the reactive element, having an open door and call us anytime. And what I think the moment of truth is when something goes right in a company or a VC, that everyone's always happy to talk. Oh, we had a big win. We had a round. We had a you know, new investor, blah, blah, blah. The real moment of truth comes when something bad happens. Hey, you know, we, we lost a contract. We, we have a defaulting LP. We have partner leaving, you know, and my question to myself is, do our VCs feel good? And actually, do they have a positive bias to call us in that moment? Sometimes, and that sometimes we can help. We've seen it before, or we have capital that can help, or we have a structure that can help, or there's lots of, you know, different scenarios. So that's kind of the moment of truth. And, you know, there's been some great moments over the past years where VC calls them and say, I don't know what to do. You know, this is happening. Please don't tell anyone because I don't want this to, be, you know, and that's, I think when I'm being a really great LP, that's the role I'm playing. Yeah. Um, trusted trusted friend, advisor, investor. And that's cool, Joe. I have a question because in the VC world for startups, then what VCs go in and do in a fundraising situation is, of course, they say, okay, I'll lead the round and I'll help you develop the syndicate around this round. And I'll also help you design your financing journey up towards the next round. How do you act as an LP if there's an emerging manager and you are one of the early ones to get in contact? Do you go in and act? in that role or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've cornerstoned a few firms. The way I think about that is sometimes, so, so if you have this open mind about where big ideas and exciting investments can come from, sometimes you meet a team or a person even who doesn't have a fund yet, doesn't have a firm yet. And, and so what we always thought at Isomer is we should be open to that. You know, if somebody really great is launching a new firm and they need help, we should provide the help, which is capital and being a good reference to other LPs and all of that. But actually, there's a ton of other things. You know, how do I build a data room? Where do I get 
good service providers, lawyers and fund admins. And again, if you're entering this business of fund management and you haven't done it before, it's a bit of a learning curve there. And so what we said at Isomus, well, we, we have the capability and we have some capacity. These are big projects, so we don't... Actually, I said we should never do two at a time. We should do one of them. And you, know, you have a weekly call and you, and you keep moving iteratively through the whole process of building a firm, basically. And that's, I love that. I mean, that's one of the most fun things you can do, to be really honest. Because in that, you're debating what's the strategy, what, how many seed tickets, what's our reserve ratio. You know, you're really cooking a soup um, and agreeing how many potatoes and how many carrots. And that's really exciting in those formative stages. But it's a lot of work. So we, we can't do, can't do uh, every fund in Europe that way. But, but we've done quite a few. They're going extremely well, I would say, and I'm kind of proud of our contribution there. Having said that, there are so many firms in Europe now, it's a struggle. There's more good stuff to back than we, yeah. than we can. Yeah. This was the first part of David and Andreas's interview with Joe George, founding and managing partner of Isomer Capital. The next part will air in 10 days and dives into Joe's views on disruption and trends of VC the VC equivalent of the framed hipster, hacker, hustler startup idiom, as well as best practice advice from Joe to emerging managers. Thank you so much for listening and here are some snippets of part two. There's too many great funds to back now in Europe. We backed a lot of fun ones. <laughs> it's more than I want to say out loud. I don't care if you're the only one or the first one. It's not how you generate value. How you generate value is being the best one.